palatable. Palatable. Yes. I actually don't mind. I think Fran Drescher, everything about her is sexy. <laughs> oh my god. Her voice is not sexy. I mean, yeah, a little bit. She sounds like a dying cat. Welcome everyone to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are doing part two of the murder of Michelle McNeil. Now, where did we leave off last time, Katie? We left off when Michelle had just been found dead by her daughter, Ada. She was slumped over her bathtub after a recent facelift that her husband, Martin, suggested that she get. And he had, uh, he had done CPR on her, but he had just fucked it up and all sorts of other stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Offered the guy $10,000 to mm-hmm. save his wife. Yes. Okay. Just all the things that you would normally do in that situation if you hadn't killed your wife. Yeah. And I guess we're going to get into it this week as to all the additional weird shit that he did afterwards. Mm-hmm. All Lots right. of weird shit. All right. So where are we going to start off here? So we're starting off with his kids. So once the couple's children had been informed of Michelle's untimely death, they began to arrive at the home. Damien McNeil and his girlfriend were shocked by the news and grieving with their father when he asked an odd favor of them. Martin said that the medicine Michelle had been taking was too much for him to see, so he had Damien's girlfriend flush it all down the toilet. All that evidence, I just can't stand to see it. Flush it. Just flush it. Get it out of my sight. Kind of a weird request from uh, someone who's going through grievance, though. I mean, is that a normal thing to just want to get rid of? No, but I mean, if someone overdosed, I can imagine that you'd want to not see it. I guess, but since we know that he's a piece of shit, we're going to go ahead and And say it. And he also didn't know that she had overdosed. Hmm. Yeah, see, that's a little weird. These these drugs are just making me sick. They're what killed your mother. Get him out of here. Yeah, pretty much, but it was not, not proven yet. Yeah. So this had little to no effect on the police's investigation, as there wasn't one. A few photos were taken, but from the beginning, Michelle's death was ruled an accident. Just because of how he portrayed it, or because they were lazy fuckers? Um, it just, I mean, it looked like an accident. Oh, okay. When Rachel, the couple's eldest daughter, heard the news, she rushed to the home. She was shocked when one of the first things Martin said was that they needed an autopsy to prove that he hadn't killed Michelle. Why would you need an autopsy to prove that you hadn't? That seems like it's a reach. Seems a little bit obvious. It's always the husband. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. All right, so here's what I what I don't get. Is uh, if you don't do something, it's fairly easy to tell, right? Like during, if there were any questions about it, they'd be able to tell if it was murder or whatever. He technically had done a good job up to this point of what he was trying to do. Not a good job, but he had done a fairly thought out way of going about this without getting caught right yeah this is a fairly foolproof plan because he made it look like an accident Mm -hmm. yeah that's why it took him seven years to be prosecuted for it until you start saying shit like they need to do an autopsy like yeah you prove that i didn't do this you did so i guess good i don't know you did such a yeah, the cops conniving that it's an accident. Job. You did a good Yeah, yeah, you you set it up the way. Yeah, you successfully did what you wanted to do. It's not like no one was and smacking him on the butt like good game, but Yeah, I mean this is where I guess it makes or breaks. I mean you can plan out the perfect crime, but if you're a terrible actor or don't know how to be a normal person, I guess it, you know, kind of ruins it because to me this seems like crazy obvious if like my if one of my family members had died and my dad had come up and said, Uh we need to do an autopsy because <laughs> It has to prove that I didn't kill her. I'd be like, the fuck are you talking about? Killed her! You killed her! You killed her, Dad. Yes. Yeah, know it already. 
In this case, though, an autopsy proved from the beginning, I mean, at the beginning, that he didn't kill her. So. Yeah, so, I mean. He knew that, I mean, as a quote-unquote doctor, he knew that an autopsy would prove that she had not been murdered. Yeah, but you can just say, I want an autopsy performed. You don't have to say to prove <laughs> that I didn't kill her. Anytime. I am innocent. Anytime someone dies with no one else around, there's always an autopsy performed. Yeah, so... So she would have an autopsy either way, so you don't need to request one. Well, could we get an extra bonus autopsy just to prove that I didn't $10,000 will make it extra thorough. <laughs> yes, I'll give you $10,000. Rachel also found it odd when she offered to quit her job to care for Michelle and Martin's adopted children, and Martin told her no, they needed to just get on with their lives. As more people arrived at the home to offer their condolences, Martin began giving tours of the house, showing people what renovations he had done. While this seems odd to anyone looking back, in the moment it was likely not suspicious, as everyone grieves in their own way. And nobody probably wanted to, like, point it out at the time, like, dude, why are you showing us around your house? Like, can we not go to the bathroom area, Yeah, please? so I was going to say, and this is the bathroom area that I remodeled, put this tub in. It was it's a nice tub. It's a little stained now. My wife died in here, but, you know... Is what it is. Like six hours ago. Yeah, it was one too long ago, but pretty. Yeah, so he showed. Nice. <laughs> the, he showed the children how she was, how he found her. Did he act it out? Like, mm-hmm. like literally got in the tub and showed them. Oh my god! If only he would have just drowned himself. Yep, this is how it went. And then he just holds his own head underwater. Alexis asked for him to show her, but the other kids were like, "I don't want to see that." And he was like, "No, no, no, I need to see this." No, come see, come check this out. So Alexis was basically like if Katie were there. She's like, can you show me? Well, she had just been with her mom like literally 12 hours before and she was fine. She talked to her on the phone. So she was like, there's no fucking way. Like, show me how you found her. Yeah. I thought she was like intrigued. No. 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 Ada uh, found her though and she was slumped over the tub. But when they got there, she was fully in the tub, correct? Mm -hmm. That's weird that he would just leave her slumped over the tub like that because if you're going to drown someone, that's how you're going to do it, right? Holding their head underwater or slumped over the tub. Unless he had her laying in the tub and then she drowned and he was like, oh, I'll make it look like she was getting in and I don't know. Fell asleep. And- yeah. And she had her top on and her, her Mormon undergarments on her tops and then she was fully nude from the waist down. That's a little weird. So he was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe she was going to the bathroom. She was probably just giving her butt a nice Epsom salt, Epsom salt soak. Got a sore butt. That's why I wear a t-shirt in the bathtub. I'm only soaking my butt. She was just over medicated and... Didn't know what was happening, and then her husband killed her. Maybe Don't know why he had to butt. take her pants off, but... Yeah, that's weird. She just didn't have pants on. Yeah, no pants, no panties, no Mormon undergarments. Hmm. Doesn't exactly play into his story. Yeah, because you always start with taking off your shirt first, right? Do you? Yeah, when I'm getting in the shower, it's always shirt first. First thing that comes off, shirt, pants, underwear, socks if I'm wearing them. Sometimes I like to stand there in my shirt and my socks, just kind of... Swing, never mind. No, I really just, I don't like wearing, the shirt always just comes off first, just is what it is. I think that might vary by person. Socks always last, if I'm wearing socks. Some people don't put their pants on and off the same way, and in the same orders. You mean right leg, left leg, the correct way? (laughs) Just like some people don't pee, poop, pee, or whatever. Yeah, people do stupid things that are improper all the time, I guess. Three days after Michelle's death, on April 14th, 2007, her funeral was held. Martin began planning it almost immediately after she died. He made sure to invite almost no one from Michelle's family, telling them that if they did try to show up, he would have police there to escort them off the property. Now, what was his beef with her family? They basically knew that he was a piece of shit and a liar and abusive. And He didn't want him around yeah. trying to rain on his parade. 
so to speak. And her mother, Michelle's mom, was the one that said he's going to kill her someday. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Took him a while. Mm-hmm. 29 years. Well, that's I what mean, someday means. Yeah. Could be a while. One person that did show up was Gypsy, Martin's girlfriend. She sat in the back row, unnoticed by anyone. Martin gave a 30-minute speech that began with him talking about how difficult his childhood was, then went into a rant about how he'd been the perfect servant to God and didn't deserve anything that happened to him. Michelle was only mentioned a couple of times during the entire speech. That was the same thing he was shouting about when uh, the paramedics were working on her, too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm a, what did he say, deacon or whatever? Bishop. And- Bishop. Bishop, yeah, and all this, and God, I don't deserve this. <sighs> it's just a dramatic bunch of bullshit. You know, I kind of want to see it. Weird, manic, bipolar dude up there shouting about his life while there's just a dead body there that he barely acknowledges. Sounds entertaining, to say the least. And so Gypsy showed up. Mm-hmm. So she knew this whole time his situation and didn't care. But he was married? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gypsy is like a dog's name. My grandma had a dog named Gypsy. Did she have to later change her name to Romani? No. She did change her name, though. Okay. Once she was officially buried, Martin began making jokes about being a bachelor again. I would do that. I mean, that that could be just (laughs) considered a a, a dark sense of humor. I mean... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't don't have any way to not joke about about things, so I'd be like, oh, guess I'm a bachelor. I guess I, I wonder what the joke was. Yeah, it'd probably be a little more crude than mine. I would knock, knock, something. who's there? I'm a bachelor. Knock, knock, who's there? I killed my wife. Now I'm a bachelor. Nah, see, he didn't go as far as to say it, right? No. Not yet. We're going to find out later, though. Five days after Michelle's death, Martin returned to work. One of his coworkers immediately noticed that he was wearing a wedding ring, but not the one Michelle had given him on their wedding day. What an observant Yeah, co-worker. that's what I was going to say. It's like, I couldn't... I couldn't tell you if any of our coworkers even fucking wear rings, to right? be honest Holy with shit. you. That's impressive, but also I'd be like, why the fuck are you so up in my business? They've yeah. worked together for like 14 years, so. Yeah, but you, there's no way. I mean, there's no way. Unless it was like some weird outlandish ring that was very noticeable. Like, dude's rings are like just gold or silver or, you know, titanium or whatever the fuck they want to make their ring out of, but they're just regular bands. There's nothing special about them. His original one that Michelle gave him was just a gold band, and then the new one he was wearing was like gold with a big black stripe down the middle of it. Oh, well, the stripe is because his his wife's dead. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do. Right, right, right. Put a black stripe around the wedding Mm -hmm. ring when you're a widower. When another coworker commented that she had no idea Michelle was sick, Martin replied, quote, well, she insisted on having an elective surgery that I didn't believe she needed, and she thought I did. After he insisted that she fucking got it. God, I hate this guy. This guy's a huge piece of shit, and he's just making himself out to be like, I told her she shouldn't do it, like he's the fucking hero, blaming his dead wife for him murdering her. Ever since his conversation with Rachel the day Michelle died about getting on with their lives, Martin had been nonstop talking about getting a nanny. He even went as far as taking Rachel to Temple to pray that they would find one, which was odd, as according to the children, Martin rarely prayed. They arrived and agreed to meet outside before going to their respective areas. Once Rachel was finished, she went outside but couldn't find Martin anywhere. Eventually he called, and she found him sitting in front of the temple on a bench. She sat down with him, and suddenly they were approached by a woman wearing all white robes. She said that she was sorry for their loss and introduced herself as Jillian. 
Martin suddenly excused himself to the bathroom, leaving Rachel and Jillian alone. She talked about nursing school and offered pamphlets before Martin returned and took down her phone number. The woman then turned around and walked away instead of continuing into the temple where she'd originally been headed. Rachel later mentioned that she realized something was wrong in that moment and quickly realized the entire interaction was scripted and their meeting was intentional. They I mean, these, these guys are bad actors. I mean, they probably could have gotten away with this one too if she had been a little bit better actor and remembered that she was heading to the fucking temple. When she ran into her. Yeah, she literally just turned around and walked away. And remembered Good to her see name. You. So they were trying to uh, set up this miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to look like they just went into temple and prayed, and then their prayers were answered. <gasps> look at this, a nanny! And then they can tell that story at church or wherever they are. Yeah, and she's wearing all white. Lame. Martin thought that his plan went perfectly, not noticing that all his children realized almost immediately that Jillian was actually Gypsy, the woman he'd been having an affair with. When he called Alexis and told her he found the perfect nanny, he couldn't even get her name out before she asked if it was Gypsy. He lost his shit on her, telling her she was banned from the home and speaking to the younger children. He then tried to get Rachel and Damien to help him interview potential nannies, but Rachel refused. Damien was Martin's only child that stuck by his side the entire time Rachel and Alexis were out to prove Michelle was murdered. When he arrived for the interviews, only one person showed up. Gypsy. Of course. Big surprise. He wrote the want ad on a napkin and handed it to her. And that, <laughs> that was it. He's like, hey guys, look who our new nanny is, I guess. We have one interview and only one, so she better be good. He said that there was like three or four people and then only one of them showed up. And he was like, I guess no one else wanted the job. Oh, well, I guess we just give it to this girl here who's not currently my affairist. Mistress. 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 Yeah, I was looking for that word. What is a man when he's in that situation? A mister? She was hired as a quote-unquote nanny in May, only a few weeks after Michelle's death, and moved into the basement of the home. All of the children noticed pretty much immediately that Gypsy was a terrible nanny, never cooking, cleaning, or even watching the children. At one point, Rachel arrived at the house and found the children playing in the middle of the street with zero supervision. So what did she do? She literally just sat and like made eyes at Martin all day. Made eyes at Martin. You know, if she'd even just made a little bit of eyes at those children, <laughs> probably wouldn't have been in the street. I don't know if you want to do that to children. Angry eyes. you got to make angry eyes at them. Depends on what you mean by made eyes. I thought you meant just like stare at him all day. No. Like. Ooh, make, it's like the make quote, sexy eyes? Yes. Like, it's like, a saying. Is it a saying? When you're like making eyes at someone, yeah, it's because you're attracted them with your to them. Eyeballs. It just—it's called staring, making eyes at. That's Rory. not. That's not how you do it. This isn't. No. That's not it. That's that's just creepily staring. Is that what you do when you're in public? Oh yeah. And you see a pretty lady. When I see a pretty lady. I just... Hi, pretty lady. It that's is creepy because the wider your eyes are open and the more intent you're staring is how they know that you're you're good to go. You're yeah, you're attracted to them. <laughs> they can see into your soul. It makes them feel safe or yeah. the opposite of that. And then, I mean, to, to push it just a little further, you go take a little bit of their hair when they're getting into their car, and then they know that you're really interested. And that's how dating works, right? Mm-hmm. See, I know things. Yeah. Not long after Gypsy moved in, the toxicology report from Michelle came back. In her system was Percocet, nausea medication, Valium, and Ambien, but none of the drugs were considered a lethal dose. Police apparently never considered the fact that she had taken the drugs at 10 a.m., an odd time to be taking Ambien, a sleep aid. Now that he was completely off the hook for her death, Martin's health improved greatly. As mentioned in the last episode, he had a problem with his big toe, which he told everyone was cancer. Now that Michelle was dead and Gypsy was living with him, he was no longer dying. 
So suddenly his toe cancer. He's ah, you know what, guys? I got no more toe cancer. Yeah, how did he explain his way out of that one? I don't think he really did. Oh, okay. He didn't care enough to explain. I'm fine. Hey guys, when Michelle died, so did my toe cancer. What if he just? (laughs) Never mind. That was gonna go way far out on a limb. Didn't need to do that. Bring it back in, Roar. But what if he did some weird ritualistic sacrifice in order to get rid of his cancer in his toe? He didn't have cancer. Oh, so it worked. (laughs) He never had cancer. So it was like a preemptive sacrifice? Yeah. He's a shitty magician. I know that much. He's a shitty magician. Martin the Magician? Come on. Actually, that's a pretty great magician name. Martin the Magician and his wonderful cadre of animals. Yeah, I'd go see that. <laughs> and you would get raped or something. Roy has a low standards for a good time. <laughs> well, I'm here, right? Oh, <laughs> snap. What kind of animals do you think he would have? I don't know, probably like pigeons. He was also on good terms with Alexis again, who had begged for his forgiveness so she would be able to keep an eye on the children. One night, she fell asleep in her parents' bed and was awoken by someone putting their hand down her pants. She quickly jumped up out of bed and realized it was Martin, her own father, fondling her in her sleep. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? He tried brushing it off, saying he thought she was Michelle. Yeah, still not okay. No, yeah. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I'd walk in the room and just start finger blasting your mom. <laughs> and I confused you for her. Yep, that's just the way it went in this situation. He called a family meeting and admitted to doing it. He also told all of his children they absolutely had to stay in their own rooms from now on to prevent it from happening again. What? Look, kids. This was 90% Alexis's fault here. (laughs) I can't guarantee that I won't think that all of you aren't your moms. You're going to need to lock yourselves in your room every night and don't come out. Don't fall asleep on the couch. Such a weird thing to call a family meeting about. Okay, guys, wake up, family meeting. I accidentally finger-banged your sister. He also said, he was like, what if it would have been one of the younger kids? I would have been in so much trouble. Oh, my God. Like, doing it to your older daughter is fine. This man is an awful human being. Mm-hmm. And this is just gross and weird. I mean, that's not even, a, like, this dude is terrible at making excuses. Like, he just comes across a sleeping woman and his first instinct is to fondle the shit out of her. Like, apparently. I mean, it was his and Michelle's bed, technically, that Alexis was in, but... I guess if it was his bed, it's fair game, so whatever. <laughs> I don't know the rules on these things, but it sounds rules? legit. The rules are that you don't fondle your daughter. Alexis was obviously disgusted by this, and by the fact Martin and Gypsy's affair was beginning to be extremely obvious. Her and Rachel hired a private investigator to look into Michelle's death, and Michelle's sister, Linda, quickly got involved. All three of Michelle's sisters flew out to Utah to have a meeting with police, who laughed them out of the room. After laying out all their evidence, officers asked the typical, are you trying to tell me that I don't know how to do my job? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to if, tell you. If your answer is yes to that, I mean, what are they going to say? Like, yes, I think you are incompetent at what you're doing, and that's why I'm here. They'll literally probably just kick you out. Meanwhile, Martin was busy figuring out to unseal his marriage to Michelle so he and Gypsy could marry. In the LDS church, when two people are married in a traditional ceremony, they are sealed together for eternity, spending the afterlife together once they die. For one to truly marry again, 
again, they must be unsealed from their original spouse so they are able to spend eternity with their new wife. It was never said if he was able to complete this, but he did buy Gypsy a $7,000 engagement ring on June 26th and proposed to her on July 3rd. So, once you're unsealed from someone who's dead, are they just floating around in the ether now? Like, you're no longer connected to them, they're not on your planet, where do they go? What's their deal? That's fucked up. I would think that you would know how to answer that more appropriately than I would. I don't know anything about Mormonism. The two had taken a trip to Wyoming to see Gypsy's family, and he proposed in front of them. Mother said during a car ride, Martin told her, quote, I never loved Michelle, but I loved Gypsy. When she was obviously shocked, he corrected himself by saying, Well, I did love her. I loved her as a sister, but I did not love her the way I loved Gypsy. Technically, he loved her as a daughter. Once they returned home to Pleasant Grove, Martin informed his children he'd fallen in love with a nanny and obtained a marriage license July 20th, a little over three months since Michelle's death. It's a quick turnaround, I'd say. Especially for the nanny. And I mean, they built this whole story so it sounded like, he was, she's my savior, she did this for me. Yeah, what a turd. God, I don't like this guy. In basically his only act of kindness ever, Martin took all of his children to California to visit family friends. While there, Alexis was once again awoken in the middle of the night by her father touching her inappropriately. A few days after that, Martin approached the family friends and told them he couldn't handle the younger children anymore and wanted to give them custody, knowing full well that Alexis was doing everything possible to adopt them herself. She needs to start locking her door when he's around, because, I mean, that's just... I mean, he did tell them all that, but... (laughs) Why, though? Why would he do it again? It's so fucking gross. I mean, why would he do it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, but then after he admitted it and got caught, he went back and did it again. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's something. What was his excuse this time? He thought it was Michelle. Well, I thought it was Michelle. I think you only get that as an excuse once. Maybe only half the time. Not if you're him. No, I I just don't. You don't ever get that as an excuse. When Alexis found out, she threatened to have police reopen the investigation into Michelle's death if she did not get custody. The very next morning, Ada, Sabrina, and Al were dropped off at her doorstep. Giselle was not with them as she'd flown to Ukraine in July to visit her friends for a few weeks. If that's not a dead giveaway that he killed her mom. She's like, I'm going to have the cops reopen this if I don't get custody. Well, here's your kids. Well, then fine. Yep. Take these kids. You want, I got more kids. Here, I got one coming back from Ukraine you can have. Alexis quickly moved her and the children out of her apartment and began living in hotels in fear Martin would come looking for them. Hopefully she locked the doors. Despite her fear, she was still angry and wanted revenge against Martin for Michelle's death. Since she now had custody of the children, her next step was to go after the house, which had been granted back to Martin in Michelle's will. Alexis went to court and filed a motion stating that Martin should lose the house because with it he was benefiting from murdering his wife. The court system moved slowly, and by September, nothing had happened. Alexis decided to go to the Pleasant Grove Police Department and file sexual assault charges against her father. When he was charged, he was furious and began spamming Alexis with constant phone calls. She decided to record them to help her in court, and caught one conversation where Martin admitted to putting his hand down her pants, saying, quote, I'm still a sexual person. I have desires that need to be met. By someone other than your daughter, you fuck. Yeah, god damn. Go Buy a hooker. It reminds me of that scene in Dogma where uh, he's in the movies boardroom and he walks up to the guy and he whispers in his ear and he's like, <laughs> your own son, you sick fuck. And then he just shoots him. That's a great part. They should have done that to this guy. In another call, Martin told Alexis that she could have full custody of the children if she signed a document saying he'd never touched her. He was charged with witness tampering. So she's just straight out to get him, mm-hmm. which is good. 
Good for her. Pachow, pachow. She was pretty smart about it, getting those calls recorded, and he just pretty much screwed himself into the ground. Rule numero uno is mid nothing. Rule number dos is actually, don't. Yeah, rule number one is don't fucking do bad stuff, I guess, actually. Yes. Rule well, num- then now I don't even know what rule number mine is. Seven. Rule number seven is don't be on the phone for more than 30 seconds. Oh, no, that's for tracing. Not recording. Forget that. Scratch that. Technically, if it's a cell phone, they can trace it as soon as you pick up the call. Ooh, motherfuckers. Yeah, they know exactly where you are. Everywhere. Alexis and Rachel now had the children, were fighting for the house, and were close to sending Martin to jail. Their last step in ruining his life was going after his job. This was probably the easiest part. All they had to do was go to his employer and show proof of his 1977 felony check fraud charges, which he'd concealed when he'd been hired. They also let them know that he was currently charged with two more felonies, and Martin was promptly fired. Adios, pension. Or whatever he might have had. Now he was stuck without a job, unable to sell his house, and had a fiancé who owed over $50,000 to the IRS and couldn't even open a bank account without the government seizing every single penny from her. Life of a gypsy. Can't say that I didn't think that. (laughs) I was reading this. He was quickly ruining his relationship with Gypsy as well, who didn't realize until after about a year that Martin was bipolar. He was so stressed from Alexis slowly ruining his life, he began getting violent with Gypsy, who filed domestic violence charges against him, but dropped them quickly once they reconciled. In desperate need of money, Martin hatched a master plan to get Gypsy out of debt. She got a brand new identity, courtesy of Martin's adopted daughter Giselle. He took her birth certificate and altered it, changing the name to Jillian Giselle McNeil and the birth date by 20 years. He really likes that name Jillian. <laughs> he just pulls it out of everywhere. That's what everyone knew her by technically now, because he still called her Jillian to the kids and like <sighs> everyone was like, this is my nanny Jillian. So when now she's she was... nanny, she's Jillian and... When she's my mistress, she's Gypsy, the mistress. Gypstress? Gypstress. She had a new social security card, but did not change the number, meaning it now showed it belonging to two different people. They also went and applied for a military ID so she could open a bank account, where they listed their fake marriage date as April 14th, 2007, the day of Michelle's funeral. Martin also went and updated his will, giving everything to Gypsy besides a single dollar left to each of his children. Did he do that just to be a dickhead? Mm -hmm. Of course. One dollar for you. Oh, I got a dollar for you. You have to be quicker than that. Martin was able to create Gypsy's new identity so easily because he had literally abandoned the real Giselle in Ukraine. When she had left in July, she was only supposed to be gone for a month, but wasn't given a return ticket, any money, or her passport. She lived in absolute poverty for months while she desperately tried to reach Martin, who ignored every one of her attempts to contact him. Eventually, Michelle's sister, Linda, realized that Giselle was never brought home and went to rescue her. She decided that she was going to adopt her, but Martin fought her for custody. After being abandoned in Ukraine, Giselle had to spend months more in foster care before Linda was finally granted custody. That's ridiculous. You'd think that after abandoning her in Ukraine that they would just give the custody over to the aunt. Right. You'd think someone else in the family would have fucking noticed that she was gone. That's my thing. His thing was, though, he couldn't bring her back because he had just stolen her identity and given it to his new wife, right? Yeah, his plan was to send her there, keep her passport. And then never go back and get her because then Jillian was now her. But, like, Alexis has been fighting for custody of all the kids this whole time. Why didn't she notice? Maybe she didn't know how long she was supposed to be gone. Or maybe she thought or was under the impression that he'd send her back for good. I don't know. Alexis flew with Giselle to Ukraine and then, like, got her there safely, basically. And Martin was like, bring me her passport. Don't let her keep it or she'll lose it. And Alexis was like, no, I'm going to keep it. So if she would have given it to Martin, she literally would have never come home. While all this was going on, Linda decided to drive down to Michelle's grave. When she arrived, she realized that Martin and Damien were already there. 
She snuck to another grave and spied on them, noticing that they were pouring concrete to create their own headstone, which Michelle still did not have after a year. They did such a shoddy job trying to save money that the cemetery owner actually got numerous complaints about it, but Martin threatened to sue him when he brought it up to him. Eventually, he had a metal plate with her name and a poem put on it, but I figured you guys could describe for us what it looks like. Oh, wow. Okay. It is crude. It looks like... I can't see a poem or an inscription on yeah, it. Yeah, I don't see anything on it. I just... No, this is without. This is before. Because there was like months that it looked literally just like this. It's a piece it's, of concrete. Uh, yeah, it's an uneven slab of, what, four inch thick concrete? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just bad. I know these things are expensive, but uh, man, that's it, it's not even even. They should have just made it a square if that's what they were going to do. It looks like a six-year-old child made it. Yeah, I was just going to say it looks like a kindergarten art project where a kid just slaps a bunch of clay into it's a paper shape. mache and yeah. shit. This is after they put the poem on it, but you can see how, <laughs> how badly it the top is done. It honestly looks like they just went and took a chunk of concrete road and put it up. It it looks like it's supposed to be like a, a mountain. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I I don't know what aesthetic ideas they had for this, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead great. and say they failed. I'll I'll give them a a B on the plaque and a D minus on the on the rock. The book described it as looking like a surfboard. Oh yeah, it does look like a surfboard. It looks more like a boogie board actually. Yeah, that's a, a really sharp push. one. It decapitate you if you like pushed it under the water and shot it back up at your face. Well, this one sinks, so you won't have that problem. <laughs> In April of 2008, the sexual assault charges against Martin were dropped for lack of evidence. Alexis was disappointed, but determined to keep fighting to have her father convicted of something. In June, Vanessa approached her father in hopes he would pay for her to go to rehab. She had been doing well until her mother's death, and in the year following, spiraled out of control again. Instead of offering her money, Martin told Vanessa he would help her by killing her and then himself. That seems like a great different option. I got a better idea for you. Instead of going to rehab, let me just uh, homicide-suicide us. Real quick. Real quick and easy. The trick here with, with a homicide-suicide is that if they offer to kill you and then themselves, they're not going to kill themselves. They're just going to kill you. Be like, you silly motherfucker. Kill yourself first and then kill me. <laughs> or just both kill yourselves. But yeah. don't kill yourself at all, maybe. Actually, That's a better option. the best option is probably to take ten paces, turn and shoot at each other. And that's not even close to a guaranteed death of anyone. Someone's probably going to die. Probably is not really what you're looking for in a murder-suicide, though. Homicide-suicide is what we're calling this. He seemed to be giving up finally, and also signed over all parental rights of Elle, Sabrina, and Ada to Alexis. Martin did, however, feel confident he was in the clear with the law now that the sexual assault charges were dropped. He couldn't have been more wrong, as two new detectives, Doug Whitney and Jeff Robinson, had just been handed Michelle's case to look into. There wasn't much, only what Linda, Alexis, and Rachel had taken to the police, but the case sparked their interest. Linda had also recently asked for Giselle's adoption records to be unsealed and found her birth certificate, on which she noticed the birth date was off by 20 years. Whitney and Robinson pieced everything together relatively quickly, and by September they brought Ada in for her first interview ever to speak about what she saw when she found her mother's body. So these are a couple of pretty sharp detectives that they're sticking on this case now. Finally. These guys were technically retired. They're like those retired detectives that they bring in to just look at stuff that no one else has gotten around to. Ah. Uh, but they were super interested and convinced that he'd also killed her. Ah, okay. All right. We like that. Free cops, basically. 
The detective conducting the interview told Ada if she didn't want to talk about something, she could say so and they wouldn't discuss it. Apparently, her home life with Martin had been so bad that she refused to talk about it at all, except for saying what her dad's name was. When she was asked if she missed him, she said she didn't want to talk about it. She did not miss him, I don't think. No, she hated him. Fuck that guy. And she was only seven, I think. And she, like, refused to speak about him at all. Whitney and Robinson realized they were onto something, so they started at the very beginning of Martin's life. They first looked into his military career and found that he'd most likely faked his schizophrenia symptoms to receive a discharge and veterans benefit, which he was still receiving to that day. Next, they got copies of his transcripts from Washington, California, Mexico, and Utah. If you recall from part one, Martin was able to graduate from St. Martin's University in two years because he had transferred 65 credits from his time in the military. Whitney and Robinson were unable to find any proof that those credits were legitimate, meaning his degrees in psychology and sociology weren't real. So he's a fraud Mm -hmm. who commits fraud all the time. He's fairly successful at fraud, I would say. Yeah. He's a fraudulent motherfucker. They then looked at the St. Martin's transcripts and found that they weren't really his. He'd taken another student's and put his name on it so he could get into medical school in Mexico. More fraud. He then lied to the college in Mexico about his felony before leaving after one semester, but changing his transcripts to show he'd attended for a year so he could attend the osteopathic college. More fraud! Around that time, Martin had an interview with the Army and said he was not working or attending school so he would get 50% disability pay, which later turned into 100%. He'd also done the same and was receiving 100% payout from Social Security. By the time Whitney and Robinson began uncovering this, he was receiving around $3,000 a month. In 1983, Martin used a collection of all of his falsified documents to get his medical license in California and later Utah. In 98, he used them again to get into Brigham Young University for his law degree. More fraud. Everything he has actually done, like doing the law degree and everything like that, was predicated on him lying about everything else. Everything, yeah. It sounds like literally every single thing that he's done is just someone else's form that he white-outed and put his fucking name on and recopied. Now, I don't know if he's actually good at being a forger or anything like that, but he's really good at not having the government notice or any authoritative body notice that he's doing these things. I imagine in the 70s it wasn't too incredibly hard to get away with stuff like this. It's not like today where everything's, you know, on the internet and... Yeah, in two seconds. tap, tap, tap. Oh, you're lying. Once Whitney and Robinson discovered Martin's life had been a lie, Linda also came forward with Giselle's strange birth certificate. A huge federal investigation was launched to look into both Martin and Gypsy, with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, Social Security Office, Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Department of Professional Licensing all involved. Hefty list. Yeah. As they were gathering their evidence for an arrest, Martin committed fraud once again. He wanted to sell the home, but it was still tied up in court, pretended that Michelle was still alive and that he was her attorney, and transferred the home back into his name. Then, with her new identity, Gypsy filed a million-dollar lien on the house so the girls wouldn't be able to claim rights to it. A federal agent went undercover and pretended to be interested in buying the home, so Gypsy removed the lien in preparation of selling. Both Martin and Gypsy were arrested for fraud, identity theft, and a multitude of other charges on January 15, 2009. Whitney and Robinson also recharged Martin with the sexual assault of Alexis. Nice. Just for shits and gigs, or because they found more evidence, or? Well, they want to nail this fucker to the wall, so why not? I think they probably had enough evidence, they just didn't want to go forward with it. While Gypsy was out on pretrial release, one of her former roommates came forward, saying that Gypsy had spoken about poisoning Michelle or cutting her brake lines so she could have Martin for herself. 
I'm really surprised that they would let someone named Gypsy out on pretrial release. Just think she's going to skip bail. This was the first time that Gypsy had been legitimately accused of being involved in Michelle's death. This unfortunately wasn't enough evidence to charge her with anything, and she pled guilty to one count of aggravated identity theft and was sentenced to 21 months in prison. Martin also took a plea deal and was sentenced to 48 months on August 8th, 2009. For all of that fraud, he only got 48 months. Plea deals are a wonderful thing. While Martin was serving his time in prison, Whitney and Robinson continued to gather evidence to prove he was responsible for Michelle's death. The original medical examiner that performed her autopsy had passed away, so they handed her findings over to another ME who found that the toxicology report was suspicious, but still not enough to rule her death a homicide. While going through reports, the detectives did find that Michelle had regurgitated a significant amount of water while officers were performing CPR, which points to her drowning. It also showed that Martin had been performing CPR incorrectly before police arrived, as it should have been expelled in the first few moments. Because again, he's not a real doctor. Mm-hmm. He's a loser. He still should have been trained in CPR. I think he was intentionally doing it wrong. Oh, well, that too. Because I'm not a doctor and I know how to do CPR. I'm certified. With Martin in prison, Damien began to slowly spiral into a deep depression. He'd always stuck by his father's side and truly believed his mother's death was an accident. But now that detectives were finding more evidence to point to Martin murdering her, he was trapped in intense mental turmoil. Also suffering from severe bipolar disorder, Damien's depression became too much for him to handle, and he committed suicide on January 16th, 2010. That's really sad. That's just basically another victim of Martin's at this point. Since Gypsy's arrest, she had stuck to her story that her and Martin's relationship was over. She blamed him for the identity fraud, trying to claim she took no part in it and that it was Martin's fault she was in prison. Of course, she was lying and wrote love letters back and forth with Martin her entire sentence. Inmates are not allowed to write back and forth to each other, so Whitney and Robinson seized the opportunity to threaten her with more time to convince her to testify against Martin if they were to go to trial. She was also serving her 20 months on federal charges, meaning she was still facing another trial and more time for her state charges when she was released. She chose to plead guilty to four charges and agreed to testify in exchange for 36 months probation. Whitney and Robinson were also able to get Michelle's cause of death changed from natural to undetermined, a major step in proving that Martin was her killer. This came after two separate toxicology experts both stated that the drugs in her system were potentially lethal and pointed out that no one would be taking Ambien at 10 o'clock in the morning. In July, another medical examiner also determined that Michelle drowned, most likely after she was overmedicated and unaware of what was happening to her. On July 6, 2012, Martin was released from prison and was now or never for detectives. A 57-page motion for his arrest was filed on August 24th, and he was arrested for first-degree murder later that day. Fuck yeah. Shit's getting intense now. Yeah, fuck this dude. During his pretrial hearing, multiple inmates Martin had befriended in prison came forward with extremely damning evidence. I'm not sure of the context of the joke, but one man said that Martin had said, quote, For instance, I killed my wife. That should say a lot. When he oh. found out Martin's wife was really dead, he offered his condolences. Martin replied, quote, I'm glad that bitch is dead. Sounds like he killed her. Yeah. <laughs> Another inmate claimed that Martin had explained exactly how he'd killed Michelle, saying that he kept giving her pills but nothing was happening, so he had her take a bath hoping she'd accidentally drown. When she didn't, he had to help her out, saying, quote, I had to hold her under the water for a little while. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. On October 17th, 2013, Martin's trial officially began and lasted for 13 days. After only 11 hours of jury deliberations, he was found guilty of first-degree murder and obstruction of justice for flushing the pills to hide evidence. Fuck yeah. 
On December 5th, while awaiting sentencing, Martin took apart a disposable razor and slit his femoral artery in an attempt to kill himself. He was found quickly and taken to the hospital, where he received stitches and was told he'd make a full recovery. Aw, shucks. He was put on suicide watch, which quickly ruined his mental state. His lawyer requested a competency evaluation, which judges are required to grant, that pushed his second trial for the sexual assault of Alexis back until July 2nd, 2014. After a two-day trial and only hours of deliberation, Martin was found guilty of the sexual abuse of his own daughter. Good. It says, you know, with the that the uh, suicide watch ruined his mental state, but I feel like his mental state already had some pretty serious problems. Yeah, when you're in prison and super bipolar and you're locked in a room for 24 hours a day with nothing and only a blanket, makes anyone crazy. That's why they, at the very least, should give him, like, a volleyball that he could draw a face on. Unfortunately, when you're the government, you can't intentionally let people die. Unless it's Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Knee slapper. They didn't intentionally let him die. They intentionally murdered him. Well, same thing. Yeah. Okay, continue. And we're next for putting it out on our podcast. Epstein didn't kill himself. He was suicided. And right. you know who did it? You know what this is really about? It's the reptilian agenda that has okay. forced mainstream <laughs> people to face facts that they're not ready to face because Epstein was feeding this giant beast with, who's feeding these reptilian overlords, the Illuminati, if you will. Small children. Feeding them young girls to help create the, a continuation of the Illuminati race. I'm just saying. Okay. It's all there, directly all right, in front of all you. All right, all right, let's continue. We're almost done with this story. Okay, cute. That's the last thing we need to be getting after right now. On September 15th, 2014, Martin was sentenced to 1 to 15 years for sexual abuse, the maximum sentence. Four days later, he was sentenced to the maximum for first-degree murder, 15 to life, plus 1 to 15 years for obstruction of justice. After only serving a little more than two years of his sentence, Martin McNeil was found unresponsive in the prison yard and declared dead on April 9, 2017. He used a hose to inhale natural gas, powering a heater inside a greenhouse to commit suicide. So Martin McNeil got hosed. Okay, yep. Yep. <laughs> how, how do they determine with the 1 to 15 and the 15 to life, where do they Where do they actually like decide as as they go, like... If they have shitty behavior, they give them more time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll usually give you like halfway in between each one. So it's usually like half. So if you're serving 15 to life, you're going to serve like 50 years and then you'll go before the appellate court and then they'll either tell you, yes, you can go or no, you're going to be here until 20. I think there are seven or state minimums you have to uh, do for of your sentence mm -hmm. so like you have to have like 33 percent of your sentence done before you can even possibly come up for any release or something like that yeah before and then when you're when it's first degree murder usually they give you more than that because yeah he killed somebody so martin finally got his i mean he took the bitch's way out but there's a little sucking bit. on a hose <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, in total, he only served like four years in prison, which is not at all fair, but... Yeah. So, I mean, does that end it for him? Anything else, any good come out of this? <laughs> does that end it for him? Yes, suicide usually ends this person. So... <laughs> no, there was nothing good. 
that came out of this, I guess, besides Alexis getting the children and them not going to foster care, but... Yeah, it sucks. Uh, for Alexis, anyway. It sucks for everybody. This guy was a worthless piece of shit. Yeah, indeed. All right, so that's the story of uh, Martin McNeil and the murder of his Michelle McNeil. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us a message at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast and on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast. Yeah, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on Spotify. And uh, yeah, drop us a line and we'll be happy to send you guys out a sticker. So, hope you guys have a good start to your 2020. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. I can't remember her voice exactly, but I know that's what it sounded like. No, because it's like raspy and high-pitched and throaty. Yeah, no, everything about Fran Drescher is pretty great. All right, that was a dumb tangent. Let's continue, Katie.